Rob, it's been uh, quite a while since we've last been on. So much has happened. Uh, Tour de France was wrapped up a while back, uh, but we've had plenty of racing, uh, plenty of records being broken as well. And uh, let's start there with Dan Bigham breaking the hour record. Um, the hour record, is, it sounds very simple, but Rob, for the listeners, what is the hour record? So yeah, our record, simply put, is uh, how far you can ride in one hour, always done inside a velodrome. And yeah, people on track bikes basically going for as hard as they can for one hour to go for as long as they can. And uh, yeah, Dan Bigham set a very new impressive world record, not even at altitude or significant altitude. And yeah, really a surprise for me, a non-world tour rider, a member of the Ineos sports staff, just being able to do this off um, probably a lot shorter training, a lot less hours than most of his other counterparts. But yeah, just super aerodynamic and using that most of that training time to really get the best out of himself. It's incredible to see Dan Bigham, a British rider, uh, winning it. Not just because uh, he's he's actually not a professional. He's uh, he's almost like yourself, Robbie. Kind of, kind of. When I think of him, I think of you in the sense that. Uh, without your injury, you could you could be up there, right, Rob? <laughs> and you know he's he, he's a he's a nerdy one, and uh, he knows what he's doing. And like you said, it's it's all about aerodynamics, and he's he knows how to play with the numbers. And uh, it's, I can't remember what his CDA was, um, but he can get incredibly aero. Um, he managed to complete the challenge out in Switzerland, so it's not. Uh, up in altitude uh, by a vast amount, but he's still quite up there. Um, lower air density allowing him to travel faster. But I also heard him. He was on the podcast with uh, Silka, I believe, um, the Marginal Games podcast. And he was talking about, despite the fact that he's um, further north uh, in terms or rather um, he's higher up in the sky with uh, lower air density, his CDA actually rises um, as you go higher. So it's, uh, he goes, there's a balance to be had and he's probably the right guy to go for it because like like we mentioned, he's, he's superstar, he's smart, he knows the numbers. And um, he said uh, he, he wouldn't give away his power, but he was talking about he goes in, it's in the ballpark of, uh, ballpark of 340, 350 watts. And uh, on a good day, Rob, I, I imagine you could have done that for an hour. Yeah, I'd have had a had a pop, although I'm definitely not doing it in such an aerodynamic absolutely, position. That's absolutely, absolutely. Sure. So, um, so yeah, that's a big part of it. Obviously, I'm sure upper climbing would be capable of way much more. But yeah, just doing it in such an aerodynamic position is for sure the real challenge. And yeah, looking at the bike, the new tech, and you can see, um, I know we'll touch on it later, but the success the Ineos riders had at the Welter in the time trial is uh, largely down to Dan Bigham. That's the team he's supporting currently at Ineos and, you know, on very, very similar equipment himself uh, for this hour record. Some very, very impressive looking 3D printed uh, handlebars, um, which I'm sure are quite the advantage as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and ultimately this is about 500 metres uh, off the old record that Victor Sacampanat set and that was... That was at much higher altitude, which would have been a big advantage to Campanats for sure. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think uh, he talked about lots of and lots of things um, going in his favour. The fact that there was lockdown, uh, so he wasn't able to race as a team anymore. 
uh, he, he had so he had time to focus on himself, time to focus on what he wanted to do, and time to train as well. And then the fact that he now works for uh, perhaps um, the most heavily invested team in the world, World Tour right now, and he was able to lean on their partners, and they were all in uh, backing him. So the fact that he had all of these resources, all the time to do it, means that perhaps his record won't be beaten for quite a while. Yeah, it's in a very interesting one. I, I think I heard, I think he's on quite a, an awful lot of money in this Ineos role, um, probably a lot more than a lot of quite highly highly regarded riders even. And um, he just adds that much value to the team. And yeah, essentially, I believe this record won't be broken for a while, although I have heard he will likely be aiding Filippo Ganna in a That's right. in a one at some point, which you know, if Bigham if Bigham it's quite a quite an interesting one for the man. Surely he wants his own record to stand, but ultimately he's been paying paid crazy money to basically make a man far more physically talented than himself to um yeah, to basically break it and probably put it out of his own reach. Uh, he was talking about Yeah, he was talking about Ghana. Ghana was actually meant to do it a few months after Dan Bigham. Um, but just in a last minute, he decided to put it off for a few years or so. Uh, oh, so, has he? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, Dan Bigham, I, I think he must have timed it to be in front of Ghana so he can he can keep yeah. it for for a month or two before obviously Ghana obliterates it. But uh, saying that, it. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But saying that Ghana has, uh, I don't know, last year he was he he was almost unbeatable, but this year he, he seems to have lost form a little bit, and that, that might. I'd be... say he's a long way off. It was, I think, especially the tour was quite poor for Ghana. Yeah. You know, I think he was was it fourth. No fifth, even in the final time trial of the tour, and yeah, the first first one he didn't do that well either um, by his own very high standards. Although it was in the rain, so can can kind of wave that one off. But yeah, definitely not the year he'd wanted, and uh, maybe he can write at the forthcoming world champs, but um, remains to be seen. Definitely not the uh, unbeatable force in time trialing he once was. Yeah, and uh, Ellen Van Dyke. I, I think we mentioned uh, Van Dyke beating the hour record back uh, back on the last pod as well. So worth mentioning. The women's uh, hour record is just under fifty k. Uh, the guys now is at fifty five and a half, and uh, it became popular what in uh, twenty fourteen when Jens Voy, at the age of forty three, uh, managed a whopping fifty one kilometers. But it's incredible that within eight years, what's that? It is eight years that it's gone up by what? four four and a half kilometers uh so it just shows that uh, i think there is still room for for uh for for some more improvement but uh, as we mentioned i I don't think we're going to see it soon yeah i'm sure it just shows you how much technology has come on even in the last 10 years how much more money has been put into aerodynamics and you know it's just crazy crazy how much difference it makes and there's a lot of research and design going into it now and all the brands are competing and yeah big improvements and i'm sure more to come more hour records to come as well but yeah it's interesting it's an event that certainly goes in and out of fashion the hour record absolutely but but yeah definitely a good amount of interest in it at the moment that's for sure that's that's right and uh we could talk for ages about it and uh me personally i love that hour record and uh perhaps more the tech and uh all the variables around it as opposed to uh, the record itself, you know, but uh, it, perhaps for another pod. 
Yeah. Uh, so also there've been uh, so as we mentioned, plenty of racing. Uh, it's probably worth touching on the Tour de l'Avenir. Um, it's a famous race, uh, but not one that a lot of people have heard. Probably, um, it's out in France. Uh, it's almost like a mini or uh, a rookie uh, Tour de France. Uh, would you say? Yeah, basically, um, the under-23 Tour de France, I believe Tour de l'Avenir translates to Tour of the Future. Yeah. And yeah, basically just younger riders who are meant to be coming through and uh, yeah, one day winning the Tour de France. Certainly very interesting dynamic to this race over the last five years. Generally, winners of the race weren't, didn't already have pro contracts. However, the last few years, the ones... The ones contesting for the overall win have, have probably already got a pro contract diver that they're currently on or lined up for the next three years already signed. So, so yeah, an interesting one, that's for sure. It's probably and, worth uh, mentioning the culture is changing, Rob. Like, uh, as you mentioned a few years ago, uh, these youngsters racing here, they, they wouldn't have a pro contract, but uh, it seems the case now that uh, youngsters are being snapped up um, w- w- almost like uh, as if when they're born genius yeah absolutely absolutely Absolutely. and it's uh unheard of but we'll we'll discuss the new culture but tour de l'avenir as you mentioned uh has some previous winners who went on to win the tour and uh this year we had uh i'm I'm gonna butcher his name sienna or Wieter Brooks or something, Uda Brooks. Brooks. Brooks, that's it. Yeah, so from Belgium. So I imagine him and uh, Tobias Holland, Johansson, who won it last year, we're, we're going to see them in the the pointy end of the Tour de France in a few years. Uh, so it's it's probably worth, uh, if you're a big fan of cycling, probably worth checking out who these guys are, uh, following them, because we're going to see them in uh, the next few years. Uh, just as we saw uh, Pogacar, who won it in 2018, but now winning it in 2017, who went on to win the Tour de France not long afterwards. So won't be surprised to see them. No, that's for sure. Usain Brooks as well, I believe just 19 years of age. So pretty impressive. But yeah, lots of youngsters, you know, Remco is still in the 23 also. He's eligible for this race, but he was busy preparing to uh, to win the Vuelta whilst this was going on. So so, yeah, it's very interesting, this under-23 category now and, you know, the future of this race and who participates in this race is certainly going to change, that's for sure. Competition is properly hotting up. Um, I just, the levels are just getting higher and higher. And I, I, I listen to podcasts with uh, Mitch Stocker, for example, and he's just saying um, it's, it's completely different racing. These, he's obviously retired now, but he was just talking about since uh, COVID. And I, I guess uh, that... Uh, that was a catalyst for some of these changes, uh, shooing in some of these younger riders. It, it just changed the way people race, and it's just so much harder these days. Yeah, that's for sure. It's just, yeah, just I think in the UK, the UK racing totally changed as well. Like, old, yeah. like older riders went out, and the Peloton, in my opinion, has got a lot younger guys who are really more, more motivated, probably more scientifically thinking as well. I think that's probably a trend I've noticed both in world tour and domestic riders but but yeah an interesting one that uh definitely more changes happened through COVID than uh I think would have if it didn't happen so yeah absolutely and uh talking of youngsters uh we had a 
youngster winning the Vuelta, and that's what we're here on to speak about today. Uh, we won't go through every stage, I'm sure uh, people have been following, but we'll talk about some uh, some uh, winners and losers, some trends that we've noticed from the race, and uh, we'll, we'll briefly touch on each stage, I guess, and uh, talk about some of the winners. So, uh, out in uh, Holland, so again, another trend we've spoken about previously, uh, the Vuelta, not starting in native Spain, but uh, starting in Holland, uh, and Jumbo off to a flyer. Yeah, Jumbo. I think uh, I think at the Olympics when they came first, second, and third. Or well, the next year signings would have come first, second, and third. At the uh, the time trial, it was quite clear they're quite uh, unbeatable at time trialing. They're the real time trial team to beat. Um, Olympic champion Primoz Roglic and uh, bronze medalist Rohan Dennis. Part of their um, starting starting set riders here for this Grand Tour, and yeah, a lot of work going in their background staff in a uh, time trialing. Um, some, I believe, Bart Barocan is their um, specialist aerodynamicist man, and some really clever tech. I believe they have a um, a three D three D um, model of Wout Van Aert ready in a wind tunnel that they continuously test out. So. Yeah, you see these big teams, crazy money behind them, and it uh, it pays off, that's for sure. It's interesting. You mentioned Van Aert and uh, time trialing because literally just before jumping on the pod, I saw uh, an Instagram post of Van Aert and his shoes. Uh, he has very uh, basically bare carbon fiber aerodynamic shoes molded to his feet, effectively, which uh, you can't get more aero than, than that, right? And uh, no. it cost a whopping... 1800 euros uh so and i thought my specialized expert shoes were, were a lot of money apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, i think i saw the article as well just before we came on and yeah i think they're made in someone's someone's garden shed <laughs> bed as well though it's uh very sort of handcrafted handmade stuff but yeah. clearly works works well that's for sure and uh, yeah, so um, what's your thoughts on the team time? Uh, I absolutely love a team time trial. Not not to watch, but just uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a how do you say um, a gadgets guy, a technology guy. I like to see what different teams are trying and uh, how they how the tactics they use as well. And there's not enough time trialing these days. I imagine uh, it's just uh, they're going more towards the mountains, even sprint stages. They're they're cutting back on that. So I, I like the fact that they've got they've gone old school almost in their first stage team time trial. What's your take on that? Yeah, I like it. I really enjoy watching it. I think the strategy of it and everything, and you know, sometimes it can go badly wrong for teams. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you always have to have these type team time trials right at the start of the race. Some teams are gonna lose up to five riders so it wouldn't be fair if one team's doing it with three one team's doing it with eight um but in a way uh it kind of skews it in favor of the bigger money teams they're going to have the deeper yeah. roster of riders um who will pull their team leader around so in that way it is quite detrimental against the lower level teams they're never going to be able to compete with the technology and strength and depth of the riders but yeah, some really good results. Bike Exchange, probably a lower fund, lower lower sort of income team. They came fourth, uh, which is always good to see. Keeping Simon Yates in a Grand Tour contention early on, but yeah, it's the um, the big the big teams doing well here. That's for sure. Yeah, and then we're going to stage two and three, won by the big Irishman Sam Bennett, 
uh, probably sticking two fingers up at some of his uh, some of his doubters. Um, but then he goes fairly quiet throughout, you know. Um, but kudos to the guy getting back to back wins. And they talk about that with sprinters, isn't it? You get one win, and it gives you the confidence to get another. So, yeah, good on the yeah. Yeah, great, great win, Phil. I, I've, I thought his career was coming to an end, to be honest. I thought, yeah, terrible time. Yeah, he was course. sticking two fingers up to you, Rob. Yeah, I truly was. I, I had written him off long ago, to be fair. I think his team not even selecting him for the Tour de France this year, which would have been his main goal. But fair play to him. He's gone away, put the hard hard work in and come back for two storming uh, Vuelta victories in the first week. So, so yeah, well done, Sam. Yeah, it's stage four. Roglic takes an early lead uh, by stamping his authority. Um, but uh, things don't go quite his way later on, and we'll we'll touch on that. Uh, Mark Soler grabbing a win, stage five. Early on, you want to add anything, Rob? Yeah, no, I think I was, I was quite unsure of Roglic's form. Um, he sort of semi-crashed out of the Tour de France, leaving, leaving that race early. And yeah, stage four, let us knew he, he meant business and he he was here here to be competitive, that's for sure. So, so yeah, that's uh, when he knew he was going to give a legitimate challenge. Uh, interesting winner on stage eight then. Um, we've got Mr. Vine, uh, a previous uh, Zwift Academy winner. Um, so this, uh, obviously, Zwift Academy is uh, any literally anyone in the world can take part uh, as long as you've obviously got an internet connection, a tr- trainer at home and whatnot. And he's come through the ranks, beating perhaps thousands of people and earned himself a professional contract. And it's been very popular amongst the women's peloton, but not so much on the men's, but he's he's bucking the trend. How, how much do you think in the future we'll see other riders like him come through, uh, not the traditional path, but perhaps through Swift and these competitions whereby you see numbers uh, literally, you only see numbers because, of course, uh, there's nothing to do with uh, bike handing on Zwift. Not yet, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, what do you think in future? We're going to see a lot more people come down that path? Yeah, I think for sure, for sure. I think that's the sort of online e-racing is definitely getting only going to get bigger and bigger with the amount of funding it has behind it. I find Jay Vine a very interesting case. Um, so, personally, when... He won Swift Academy, kind of like got chosen as the winner. But I, I was quite sceptical about it, to be honest. Um, I felt he already had some very strong race results behind him when I checked out his pro cycling stats race, yeah, having yeah, beaten yeah. some solid world tour riders on mountain stages. But what I was I was truly shocked at, I, I thought those results would have been good enough to have given him a proper contract alone. Uh, okay. However... He actually um, announced that he was actually still on the minimum wage. He could be on for pro conti riders, which I was absolutely shocked that. I think Jay Vine is, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I saw this win coming, but yeah, yeah. For, for sure I wouldn't be paying. I, if I was many multiple teams, I'd be offering him a lot more than minimum wage. But yeah, it's um, crazy the performance he put in, essentially riding away. From the GC group, this was no breakaway stage. He just rode away um, fair and square, and um, yeah, crazy. Just taking taking. Well, it's his second win on stage eight. Yeah, He'd yeah. Uh, previously taken a win stage already. Six as well. yeah, stage yeah, six, yeah, yeah, and um, 
yeah, just crazy. The guy, to be honest, he um, put himself in Tour de France contention. One of the future guys he can win win the tour. To be fair, that sort of climb performance, he's done done some pretty respectable time trials this year as well. So, so yeah, don't be surprised if you see him as a legitimate GC contender soon. Yeah, I definitely think we'll be seeing tons more of him. You know, uh, he's he's someone that, uh, as you mentioned, has has beaten some some talented athletes and won't be long before we see him uh, standing on the top step again very soon. Uh, so, no. yeah, carrying on with the voter in that case, um, you know, by this stage, stage eight, uh, Evanepo Remco has got he's got quite quite the victory. Uh, quite the sorry, quite the gap on his rivals, um, yeah. and he goes on to take a storming win uh, on stage ten of the time trial. Yeah, stage ten of the time trial. Uh, kind of people thinking it's between Rohan Dennis, Evan Pohl, and Roglic, but ultimately Evan Pohl really smashed them forty over over forty seconds into Roglic, and a lot more on other GC GC favourites and. Yeah, he just looks so aero. He's done so much work in that position and it's really paid off for him. Um, and yeah, probably going to be one of the favourites heading into World Championships uh, next month. Um, so yeah, real, real impressive stuff from the man. Yeah, and uh, definitely. And uh, he goes, he goes as well. It's no secret. He goes on to win it. Um, but I just wanted to touch on um, Mads Pedersen uh, very quickly. Uh, towards the end, he started picking up results. Uh, second half, uh, he won a hilly stage, and not that, just that he he won uh, he won other stages as well, which uh, tells you of the different talents he had. For me personally, I, I I never think he was a worthy world champion, and I've never really rated him. Um, not prior to that, and definitely not after either. Uh, but he's he's showing um, he's like. Like uh, Sam Bennett was proving you wrong, he's he's proving me wrong. Um, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think he's he's had some bad luck. I think Roubaix is the race that really suits him, and probably the the real big one he can win in the future. He's he's pretty versatile, to be fair. He he's you can call him a sprinter now. I think you could probably after this world's performance call him one of the best sprinters in the world. But you see, stage thirteen as well. You know, he's he's he can do as you mentioned. He can do a bit of everything. Yeah, he can he can do these sort of rolling climbs as well. That's for sure. Um, for yeah, just a lot of power on the man. Just but you know, like you look at stage thirteen. Yes, it's up a hill. Um, it is a climb, but ultimately you look at the the rest of the top five: Brian Cricard, Pascal Ackerman, Danny Van Poppel. There, you know, that they're all they're all sprinters essentially. They're not not true climbers. Just the the hill was so short they could punch away, but. You know, you know, I, I don't think Cavendish is doing this. It takes a, a certain type of sprinter like Sagan in his prime to to do this sort of performance and clearly very impressive. And yeah, I don't think many, many people, if any, were expecting Mads Pedersen to win world championships since he did. Um, but yeah, he's been steadily improving since then and being more and more consistent. And yeah, I think you have to put him down as one of the big names and big favourites for classics and any sprint stage now to be honest so so yeah surprise he's not competing at the world championships to be honest i think it's probably too hard for him but I thought it was worth him worth him going out and having a go to be honest but yeah it's interesting because the world championships in uh, out in australia i think 
there's a lot of logistical uh, headaches for a lot of people. I know, for example, uh, that there are zero Irish riders going out, uh, more because of funding uh, or the lack of it, rather. Um, but I imagine for Mads Pedersen, he probably doesn't fancy the 20-hour flight and uh, all the rest of it, you know. Um, and as you mentioned, he probably doesn't have the greatest chance. So he probably thinks rather have a bit of a holiday, spend more time with family, perhaps. <laughs> At least that, that's what I'd do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I I don't have a family, so I'd probably quite happily snap up a trip to Australia, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of riders aren't, aren't keen. A lot of teams aren't keen. Uh, but I think we'll touch on that more later. For their yeah. riders to head out to Australia when they could be racing a lot more in Europe. And yeah, I think once you head out there, that's uh, probably your season over, to be honest. Maybe maybe a Lombardia afterwards, but... But yeah, uh, um, taking a, a lot of time, a big, big, big commitment. And like you say, people don't like traveling from Europe, smaller nations, well, any nation, it's going to cost a lot for them to send riders over there. Um, and I think Ireland's making the correct decision to not send any of their riders, as uh, Ian Dyer said, uh, probably no realistic metal prospects, sadly, for them. Um, but yeah. Yeah, just to wrap up the Vuelta then, Carapaz uh, earning himself two wins uh, towards the latter stage. And he goes away with, if I'm not mistaken, the Mountains uh, mountains classification. Yeah. Uh, please with... Yeah, go on. I thought it was three stages he nicked. Or... Uh, you might be right, actually. Uh, he definitely got 12, 14. Uh, yeah, sneaky one on stage, 20 as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh Yes, yes, sorry, yes, uh, you're right, and uh, yeah, so uh, how, how would you fare? How would you say, um, that that reflects on Team Ineos? They've obviously collected a uh, mountains classification, but no um, grand tour wins this year, and no, no real, um, how do you say, impetus from them this year, really. No, you have to say they're a long way behind Yumbo and UAE now. Um, no realistic um, GC winner for the tour. Uh, you know, Geraint Thomas was a solid third place, but a long, long way behind Bingegaard and Pagacha. Uh, um, and yeah, same. You know, Carapaz solid, solid second at the Giro, but I'd argue a very weak field at this year's Giro. To be fair, Jai Hindley not not considered one of the great Grand Tour riders of the generations just yet, taking the win there, but. Um, but yeah, not a great year for them. Carapaz clearly their strongest performer this year, moving on to EF next year. So, yeah, questions for them to answer, to be honest. Strong classics campaign from them, but ultimately still a long way short in the Grand Tours. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez putting in a real solid ride. Um, in podium contention for him up until up until the latter stages where he suffered a big, big crash and sort of he's never going to podium after that but yeah Carapaz you know, just didn't have it in the first week but seemed to have it in the second half of this race but sadly for him too little too late and um, yeah no no serious GC challenge for him but um, be interesting to see what he does over at EF next year and whether he can potentially, he looked like he's maybe one of the people to challenge for a tour win but Ah, uh, after this year, I'm struggling, struggling to see him being a uh, a Tour de France winner ever. Um, yeah. Maybe another Welter or a Giro in him, but I think I think a, a Tour win's a big, 
big ask for him, to be honest. Yeah, it's probably, uh, before we move on, Rob, it's probably worth going to back to stage 16 very quickly. Uh, controversy hit, uh, uh, but it turned out to be uh, a damp squid, really, because, uh, well, Roglic crashed out. He, he looked like, uh, the momentum looked like it was in his favour. He looked like he may be coming back to catch Remco. Uh, but uh, Remco played a smart one. You Would you say he played a smart one, or would you say he was cheating? I, I would have well, done the same if I was in the same situation, you know. I, I believe he punctured, and yeah, he just sat up as hard as he could. He was in the final three k. I, I presume he truly did puncture, but yeah, obviously, when you see a rider basically stopped at the side of the road and the race going on, especially when it's the uh, the GC leader, never looks good. But yeah, I think I think it's. Um, yeah, basically no rush for him. He knew he was inside the free cage to go. And yeah, Roglic only uh, taking the eight seconds on him. Um, that's all he would have got, I think, if Remco didn't puncture him. Yeah, you know, Roglic didn't crash himself. But but yeah, yeah, surely a bit of panic raised everyone's heart rate. But but yeah, for me, quite fair that Remco finished on the same time. Uh, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not you... sure. I, I don't follow the same tune, you know. No. Uh, oh, go on. How have you seen it? No, I don't know. Like, um, obviously, punctures. Okay, if he had a crash or something out of his control, right? That that that, that it makes sense, you know. Give him the same time or whatever. But Are when punctures it's controllable, you got to think about the investment they these teams make into the technology, and they've got the backing of millions, or if not. Okay, not billions of it. They got they've got millions of pounds behind them. Like you, you've got a, it, it's part of your setup. You know what I mean? Um, you've got to trust your equipment, and uh, if it goes wrong, that's on you, right? I don't know. Mm. That, that that's my take. Right? I agree. I agree for like a for like a Parry Bay. If someone punctures four times, like it's their fault. But if if you just puncture on um on a nice smooth road in Spain in the final 3k. Um, I'm lenient. I feel. So, you should, you should be running tubeless and all that. Uh, they, I'm sure they are these days. And I, I'd be surprised if he was on zero PSI, you know, he probably had 30, 40, saw that it was running away from him. And, uh, he, you know, some, someone in the team car is telling him to sit up and take a new wheel. Yeah, well, yeah, I think there's there's there could be a level of craftiness there with that as well. But you know, he's never never physically so bad that he was going to lose more than the eight seconds. I feel it would be harsh to punish him more than eight seconds personally. But that's my opinion, today. I feel you want to you want to take the three Roglic, minutes off him. Not 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 three minutes, but like Roglic should. I don't know. I, I felt like the momentum changed in that in that moment, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. And, and there was more up for grabs there. Uh, but I could be wrong. And uh, and as we mentioned, it, 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 it made zero difference because Roglic hit the deck and uh, he, he crashed out and that was him done for the rest yeah. of the tour. So probably not worth uh, delving into, but uh, perhaps in future, if it, if it happened in the Tour de France, for example, um, I'm sure we'd spend probably a whole episode just talking about that situation and the ramifications and whatnot, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, so Remco does go away with the victory, 
and uh, incredible, um, incredible. And uh, as we mentioned previously, like there's a there's a new culture shift. He's another very very young rider. He also goes away with the young rider competition award as well, and uh, a great win for Etix Quick uh, or right not Etix but Quickstep um, Alpha Vino is it? <laughs> Can't keep up with it. Changes every five minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's something. It's something. Yeah, Quickstep. Quick uh, and uh, Rob, I love. Uh, I know you love uh, all the little facts and stuff I come up with. So uh, here's a good one. Back in 1983, I believe it was, his father was the Lantern Rouge uh, of the Volta, uh, meaning he came last. Um, it's an honour in itself, right? Uh, and that is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool stat, to be fair. Yeah, and it's it's gone full circle. So um, yeah, uh, Remco going away with the win. Uh, the first Belgium to win. Um, a uh, grand tour in approximately 44 years, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Uh, so wow. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, surprised, yeah. surprised at that one. God, yeah. I got some stats on you, Jay. Bloody hell. God, those and, uh, are surprising ones. And uh, this this isn't so much a stat, right? But um, as a Muslim, um, our claim to uh, Remco's fame is the fact that uh, he actually did uh, completed a few fasts during Ramadan this year. Uh, so... Here's a shout out to all those guys who thinks uh, fasting's difficult. You know, you, we've got the Volta champion doing it, and he's he's still winning uh, the biggest races in the world. So uh, don't shy shy away, guys. Uh, this isn't for you, Rob, but <laughs> some, <laughs> some some of the others who, who who sometimes shy away from such things. But yeah, um, incredible win. Uh, it's 21, 22 years old. Um, and uh, it just follows the trend of current of uh, young, young, young champions. And as we were mentioning with Tour de l'Avenir earlier, um, they, p- people wouldn't even look at young uh, juniors previously. The culture was that uh, whether you were good or not, you were working to, uh, for the ride leader of the time or um, the champion of the time. And you had to wait your turn. Uh, you had to earn the right to lead a team and uh, it seems uh, probably due to uh, things like Swift, things like uh, the power meter becoming so available and numbers being so available, we can see very quickly uh, who has the numbers to reach the top. And it's probably uh, fast forwarding many of these juniors into or propelling them rather into spots that uh, sometimes they crash and burn, but sometimes, like uh, Ivanapol did earlier this year and probably previously as well, um, there was a lot of pressure on him, but it seems like it's paid off and uh, Quickstep have a champion on their hands. They have their champion for sure, and yet he's, um, I'm sure he'll be lining up at the Tour de France next year, aiming for the real big one. And uh, I thought will be very interesting to see how he compares to the likes of Vingegaard a on form Roglic and Pogacar. So, uh, yeah. well, what's your take? Is he is he on the level of uh, Vingegaard and Pogacar? Uh, he did, no. of course, beat Roglic, but um, I, I think the other two are on a different level. Um, you you have the same opinion? Uh, no, personally, I don't think he's um, like his time trialing is fantastic. I think he can time trial as well as them. Like those two only appear to do good time trials in the middle of a Tour de France. Um, No, I don't see him climbing at their level, to be honest. Like, he he never put real significant time into Enric Mass. He never looked like a much greater 
climber than Enric Mass, which I feel you need to do to 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 consider yourself at their level. Um, yeah, he's still young; he can still improve. For me, this uh, Grand Tour also throws up when I so he's only nineteen. Yeah, Remco is twenty two now. He's not. Yeah. He's not that young anymore. Like when well, I used to... <laughs> you could argue he's got another ten years or so. You know, um... he's got another ten years, but you know, he's he's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not got. He's had. Um, he's been at world tour level. He's had world tour level support for a good few numbers now. There's not going to be any massive improvements year yeah. on year. Yeah, it's... there may be improvement. Rob, yeah, may be challenge. It's incredible that you're saying he's not that young. But say five years ago, ten years ago, we'd be saying someone who is like twenty four. Uh, winning a world tour, I mean a, a grand a grand tour would be like that would be super young, say ten years ago. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is incredible how times have changed, you know. Yeah, for sure. But but yeah, you know, there's a big difference between twenty two and nineteen, and when I used to was yeah. nineteen. Sorry. So um, so yeah, I think for me, he's the one I see in the next two years. I see him as more likely to challenge yeah. for the tour because I think he will. We will see much more improvements over from him over the next two years. But yeah, Remco could prove me wrong for sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if he won the tour next year. Um, really, I, I, I think I would be uh, I, unless, unless of course, not, the other two crash out or something like that. I'd be, I'd be shocked. I'd, I, in fact, I'm not sure he's actually going. They. Um, uh, there was something out from uh, Patrick Lefebvre. Um, they asked him, "Are they are they taking him to the tour next year?" And he was like, "No." And when they asked him uh, a bit further, he he was having like none of it. He's like, "We're following our plan," kind of thing. Um, he didn't give too much away. But yeah, yeah. He, Probably a Giro for him then, I guess. That'd maybe be the next step up from the yeah. Welter. Yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing else in between for him to win, really. So yeah, so, yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and uh, as you were mentioning, when are you so 19 years old, the first teenager since like 1904 uh, to podium at a Grand Tour. So uh, that's the first time in, what, 110 years? But I'm sure it won't be the last time in in as many years. So uh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, very impressive. And yeah, to think he's that young is just mental. He could should still be at Tour de l'Avenir, really, at nineteen. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. Challenging, shows, challenging the world since then. Shows a good, uh, good uh, tour for UAE. They get had two fellas, uh, Yao Almeida, fifth as well. So two guys in the top five. Obviously, no win, no win at the Tour de France. But I think the team is getting better. Um, less reliance on just the one man. And uh, they may end up having to do what other teams do, where they have a few champions uh, riding as domestiques for the bigger champion. You know what I mean? Yeah, sad to see Brandon McNulty almost yeah. falling into that yeah, role a yeah. little bit. Yeah. I think he and can do fantastic things on his own. But He's out the yeah. World Tour as well. I mean, not the World Tour. He's, he's not going to the World Championships, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, probably a bit burnt out by now after a tour and a welter, to be honest. But but yeah, it's a shame because yeah, I really rate him as a rider and hope he can come through and do something. But yeah, nothing just yet, sadly. So yeah. So um, when we are uh, when we're on next, we're all in for the World Championships, which we mentioned is out in Australia. Um, current 
defending champion is uh, Julian Alaphilippe, uh, crashed out of the Vuelta. Uh, form isn't so great. Um, what, what's his chances of defending his title? Well, uh, I'd say pretty low, but I said that last year as well when he didn't look great at Tour of Britain before he went and defended it. So never write him off, but I'd say quite unlikely, to be honest. he's um, He has got a very strong French team around him. I think a lot will depend on how quickly he recovers from this injury. He he wasn't um he, he didn't show anything exceptional for me at uh, at the welter, so we'll see, we'll see. But um yeah, definitely not not my favourite. I think that probably goes to Wout Van Aert currently. Matthew Van der Poel um taking a win in well only today as well, ahead of Binium Gamai. Those two looking very strong potential favourites as well and uh, yeah maybe home home man Michael Matthews as well strongly in contention but yeah yeah, world championship is always throwing up a result um, such a crazy result for sure but yeah we'll looking, see looking forward to it before before we uh, crash out then Rob it's probably worth mentioning or talking about the ongoing relegation battle uh, which Israel Startup Nation and Lotto Sudel find themselves in uh, it's worth mentioning Enric Mass, uh, who managed a phenomenal second place at the Vuelta, almost and a, grabbing a stage win and whatnot. He, he did a grab stage win. I think he grabbed a stage win, right? Uh, he basically rode his team out of uh, the relegation battle and into safety. Uh, but it looks like we have two losers. Uh, what, what's your take on the whole setup? Do you, are you for the whole setup or are you against it? Do you, do you like the old model? Um, I, I see both sides to the story. Um, it gives other teams a chance, but at the same time, it's such, uh, such a, I don't know, it's, it's not safe at the top anyway. You know, you have teams coming in and out all the time. Um, so some sort of stability would be nice as well. Uh, but I do like the fact that teams are now sending out riders to these, uh, <laughs> you could say random or, um, obscure races, which then raises the profile of those races as well and uh, gives a boost to those uh, smaller organisers and whatnot. Uh, but it, it kind of uh, cheapens some of the bigger races because then you don't have uh, some of the world champions or some of the greater riders racing them. They're sending them out to win uh, some dead race out in, I don't know, uh, say Turkey or they're all America, in Belgium. America they're all, they're all, all these big point scorers are in Belgium. They're all dead ass. Yeah, yeah. So, what, you for it or what's your take? Um, yeah, I absolutely love it. I think it's the fair thing to do, to be honest. And I think, you know, the whole relegation thing, I think, gets overhyped. So, you've got only 18 teams are going to qualify to be world tour. So, because of Arkea, Samzik, and. Um, Alps and Phoenix are clearly they they want to move up and they're clearly deserved to go up. I think they're basically out of this um, relegation battle because they're basically already promoted. So two of the current world teams have to go down. And when you say go down, they go down to Pro Conti. However, the first teams get relegated will only um, they'll still get invited to every single world tour race. And if you're invited to every single world tour race, you'll be missing out on anything. Yeah. You can turn it down still. You've then got less protocols you've got to adhere to. You can pay your weaker riders less. You can miss 
races you don't want to go to. Say you don't fancy Paris Nice, you don't have to do it. Um, and yeah, and then the team below that still get invited to all three Grand Tours. So oh, I, I, I think they're, they're moaning about nothing, to be honest. Obviously, you might want, if you're well-funded, you might want the status of saying, oh, I'm World Tour to sponsors. Yeah, I think that's stuff. what it is. I, think, not... I, I get that, but the implications aren't actually that bad, to be honest. Um, other than not being able to say your World Tour, yeah, there aren't that many negatives to it, in my opinion. Now, yeah, I, clearly sponsorship's the big one. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I don't. It depends how clever your sponsors are. If they can see through that it's not a big thing, but you know, your sponsors aren't usually that clever. And the sometimes I think there's obviously a lot of. Oh, I'd never say investing in pro cycling is probably a great marketing strategy. <laughs> yeah. Generally, yes, more agreed. more vanity agreed. sponsorship, to be honest. So, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, the teams at the bottom very angry, and you know it is having sad knock-on events. So Movistar, even though they're they're ninety percent safe, siding's not allow their riders head out to the World Championships and just do these small, essentially not pointless races. But they've actually got a lot of points on offer for the winners. But yeah, they're not. They're just not not deemed very big races. No one no one remembers the winner of them in one or two years sort of thing. Um and uh yeah, it, it's a bit sad we won't see Valverde, we won't see Serrano. A lot of good riders who should be at the World Champs won't be there because they're they're having to pick up points at GP Well only instead. So so yeah, it's not not a great situation, but for me it makes it a lot more interesting and yeah, actually, to be honest, it's made me focus on the smallest teams a lot more now. Like, I'm I'm looking at Israel Nation riders and seeing, oh, where did they come at GP Montreal? Like, it's interesting to see, and you sort of actually pay attention to these teams. Yeah, um, yeah. So I actually really like the setup. I know I'm um, probably one of the minority. I don't think people within <laughs> the World Tour like it. But then you can argue, like, you hear teams like uh, Total Energies, B&B Hotels, who basically live for these World Tour and Grand Tour invites. Yeah. It wouldn't be fair on them if you didn't have... if like Because if you had 20 World Tour teams, basically no one else gets to go to the World Tour races or the yeah. Grand Tours. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. so I, I think it has to be done. And I've got no qualms with the UCI um, about the rules. Maybe how... How they've communicated it to teams could be better, but but yeah, um, nah, I like it. <laughs> I hope it stays. I think they should relegate people every year, but I think the three years offers a lot of stability to teams and secures long term sponsorship. To be honest, so yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned Valverde; it's probably worth mentioning him. Him and Nibali, uh last Grand Tour, they'll probably have another race or two within them, but. Uh, it's good a uh, goodbye to them. Uh, two phenomenal athletes, two mainstays in the uh, pro peloton, uh, and uh, yeah, it'll, they'll be missed. Uh, I feel like the old guard is quickly, um, you know, um, becoming the old guard, <laughs> effectively retiring and or no more. Uh, we've seen uh, others go quietly. Um, Gilbert is another. 
Um, and yeah, I, I think we're into a new era uh, of the youngsters and it'll be interesting to see these youngsters getting old and whether they'll be, whether they'll last as long as Valverde, Nibali, uh, Chris Froome and uh, Gilbert, if they're racing into well into their 30s or in the case of Valverde into the 40s as well. I doubt it, to be honest, would be my sad synopsis. I I think um, an interesting stat you see as well is that um, most people who win the white jersey at the Tour de France is generally their highest ever result. So you've got Adam Yates, Bob Youngles, um, but now won it when he was a white jersey with Ryder. Same with Andy Schleck, I believe. Um, yeah. People who generally do well when they're 25 don't do well when they're 35. Um, you have the odd exception, like Chris Froome, quite a long career, Valverde, crazy long career. But yeah, to be honest, I don't see it in 10 years that we'll see Remco versus Pogaccia. I think those guys will be quite quiet and there'll be um, some kid we've never heard of winning by then, to be honest. But, you know, could be wrong, could be wrong. So yeah, we thought... We thought Bernal would dominate for a decade. No, we That's thought right. Bernal would dominate for a decade. And, you know, neither of them are, are uh, big favourites for the tour anymore. Pogaccia still is. But I think Vingegaard is ahead of him in the odds right now. So, so yeah, time's changed quick, sadly, in uh, pro cycling. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, Rob, it's been a pleasure. Uh, so much to take in. And we could probably t- speak for another few hours. Uh, but let's call it a wrap. And uh, see you on the next one. Yeah, see you soon. All right, bye.